Hail and welcome, witches. This is Margot at A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. And it's another glorious Friday or Thursday if you're watching this over on the Patreon where I post unedited video format episodes a day in advance. So let's get right to it. The other day, I was watching the new season of The Witcher with my husband. The Witcher is amazing. I love that show. And noticed that Netflix has put out an extra short series of episodes called The Witcher's Bestiary. Uh, I say bestiary. Do you say bestiary? I say bestiary. Uh, Where they dive into all the monsters shown in The Witcher and identify and explain them in real world human folklore from all around the globe. Uh, Of course, I watched them. They were an absolute dream come true for a nerd like me. And I even said to my husband that this is exactly the type of project that I would love working on. How fun. To which he replied, you should do something like this for the podcast. And the wheels, they started turning in a lot of different directions. I could do monsters and or cryptids that are witches or similar to or related to witches. There's plenty. Uh, But then again, that sounds like a really fun episode to save for October or spooky season. Um, I could do real life witches and history from all over the world. Interesting and fun also, but it just didn't feel like a starter for some reason. Uh, So then finally, I settled on legendary witches from mythology, folklore, and literature. And here we are. I do plan on circling back to those other topics in what could be considered, I dare say, another series. Uh, what is the deal with me in series? I, I don't know. And will I ever finish one? Yes. The answer is yes. But just remember, the journey is just as important as the destination, if not more so. So let's talk about these witches of legend. I decided on five And though at least one or two of them have been referred to as a goddess here and there, I tried to keep this list as close to the figure of the archetypal witch of legend itself as possible. Because part of the purpose of this episode, it turns out, as it developed and kind of became what it is, which sometimes happens when I'm, you know, writing my notes, because part of the purpose of this episode is to shine a light on how some practitioners, for example, secular witches, rather than worship or work with deities, choose to work with archetypes instead. And the witch of legend is one archetype that definitely feels like a guiding force of power, confidence, courage, truth, shamelessness, anti-oppression and resistance, transformation, strength, wisdom, and of course, magic that modern witches can tap into when they feel they need to embody or take on some of these qualities. I am not a secular witch, but I do embrace archetypes in my practice. So what is an archetype? An archetype is a universally recognized symbol, pattern, or character type that represents a particular idea, concept, or behavior. They tend to be recurring motifs found in literature, mythology, and various cultural expressions across different periods of time and societies. And these archetypal images or characters often tap into deep-seated human experiences, emotions, and the collective unconscious. Archetypes can take on various forms, such as characters, symbols, themes, or even plot structures, and they embody fundamental human traits and motivations, as well as conflicts, and they can be seen as basic building blocks of storytelling and are often used to create relatable and recognizable narratives. A few examples of some pretty common archetypes include the hero, the wise old man or crone, the trickster, uh, the mother figure, the mentor, the shadow, or even the quest. And these archetypes represent broad and universal concepts that can be found in numerous myths, legends, fairy tales, and literary works from different cultures and time periods. So archetypes can serve as powerful storytelling tools, as I've said, because they tap into shared cultural and psychological understandings, but they can also serve as guiding or encouraging figures in your craft because they evoke a familiarity and they resonate with us, helping to convey themes, emotions, and messages in a way that's universally understood. 
understanding archetypes allows us to recognize and appreciate the underlying patterns and symbolism in literature, folklore, other forms of creative expression, and yes, in witchcraft and spirituality, because they provide insight into human experience and the recurring themes and motifs that have shaped our cultural storytelling traditions throughout history. And as witches, they can help you align yourself with certain qualities, insights, or even powers that we want to embody in our spell work or spiritual practices. The tarot, particularly the major arcana, is filled with incredible archetypes that you can tap into. The fool, the magician, the high priestess, the empress, and so on. All archetypes that we can tap into and embrace when we need guidance or to borrow some of the qualities that they themselves symbolize or embody. Some more universally understood, well, for the most part, archetypes include the warrior, the mystic, the goddess, and of course, the witch. And if you want to learn more about working with archetypes on a spiritual or magical level, I highly recommend checking out Healing for Hot Messes on YouTube. Uh, these are videos by witch and author Mandy M. You might have read or heard of some of her books, Witchcraft Therapy, Happy Witch, and the upcoming Feral Self-Care. She also has a podcast called Healing for Hot Messes and Instagrams under Healing for Hot Messes as well as The Secular Witch. But over on her YouTube, she recently posted a video titled Using Archetypes in Your Practice, and I think it might be extremely useful and informative if you want to dive a little deeper into this facet of spiritual practice. So let's talk about the witch archetype by looking more closely at a few very well-known legendary witches in literature, folklore, and mythology. And then afterwards, when I finish up discussing these incredibly intriguing characters, I'll share a ritual for embodying the magic and power of the witch archetype. So let's take a look. I've decided on five witches in particular, and I'm certain that most, if not all of them, will be familiar to you. They are Circe, Morgan Le Fay, Baba Yaga, La Bafana, and Medea. So, Circe. Circe, or Circe, or Kirke, however you want to say it, is a fascinating figure in Greek mythology. She's a sorceress, often depicted as a beautiful but dangerous enchantress with the power to transform humans into animals. Circe's story is primarily found in Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey, but she's also made an appearance in other works of literature as well as folklore. In the Odyssey, Circe plays a significant role in the adventures of the hero Odysseus. After Odysseus and his men land on her island, Aiea, Circe transforms his companions into pigs, but eventually restores them to their human form. She then becomes Odysseus's lover and advises him on his journey home, providing him with crucial information about the dangers that he's about to face. Circe's powers of transformation and her ability to lure men with her enchantments have made her a prominent character in various mythological and literary traditions. Her portrayal often reflects the archetype of the seductive and dangerous female figure or witch. Um, and here are a few examples of Circe's appearances in other works. The Argonautica, written by the Greek poet Apollonius of Rhodes in the 3rd century BCE. E. This epic poem recounts the adventures of Jason and the Argonauts. Circe appears in a brief episode where she advises the heroes on how to navigate past the dangerous monsters of the Mediterranean. Ovid, a Roman poet who lived during the 1st century BCE, includes Circe in his famous narrative poem, The Metamorphosis. Here, Circe is depicted as a temptress who turns Odysseus's men into animals and attempts to do the same to him. However, Odysseus is protected by the god Hermes and resists her magic. Other classic works uh, include The Library by Apollodorus and The Aeneid by Virgil, often echoing the themes and motifs found in the Odyssey. Circe's character has left a lasting impact on popular culture, and her story has been retold and adapted in numerous ways including the contemporary novels such as Circe by Madeline Miller, 
one of my absolute favorites, and The Lost Books of the Odyssey by Zachary Mason. She's also appeared in films, television, video games, and she's continuing to captivate audiences with her intriguing and mysterious nature. In Circe by Madeline Miller, the character Circe is given a more complex and nuanced portrayal than in traditional mythology. The novel provides a much more in-depth exploration of her backstory and inner world, offering a fresh perspective on her motivations, her struggles, and her growth. In Miller's retelling, Circe is depicted as a defiant and independent figure, challenging the conventions of her divine family. She's born to the titan Helios and the nymph Perse, but her voice and appearance set her apart from her powerful and beautiful kin. Cersei possesses a natural inclination towards witchcraft and discovers her ability to transform others through the use of herbs and potions. And throughout the novel, Cersei's journey is portrayed as a coming-of-age story as she navigates through various encounters with gods, heroes, and mythical creatures. She has interactions with notable figures like Hermes, uh, Daedalus, Odysseus, and the Minotaur. And her encounters often involve themes of power, love, motherhood, and above all, self-discovery. One significant aspect of Miller's portrayal is her emphasis on Cersei's agency and growth as a character. Her experiences, including her exile to the island of Aiea, her interactions with mortals, her gradual understanding of her own abilities, shape her into a formidable and self-reliant sorceress. The novel presents her as a complex individual who learns from her mistakes, finds her own path, and ultimately becomes a force to be reckoned with. Additionally, Cersei explores themes of femininity, the constraints imposed on women in mythology, and the power dynamics between gods and mortals. And the novel delves into Cersei's relationships, both romantic and maternal, highlighting her struggle to find love, connection, and a sense of belonging. Cersei by Madeline Miller presents a compelling and empathetic portrayal of this powerful sorceress, Cersei, as a multifaceted character, breaking away from the traditional one-dimensional depictions often found in mythology, one of the reasons why I absolutely love this book so much and will recommend it forever. So in movies in television, we see her pop up quite a bit as well. Uh, In the 1997 television miniseries adaptation of Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey, Circe is portrayed by actress Bernadette Peters. And the miniseries closely follows the events of The Odyssey, and Circe's depicted as a seductive sorceress who turns Odysseus's men into animals, as we know, uh, and she plays a significant role in Odysseus's journey. Uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Sea of Monsters, which is a film from 2013 based on Rick Rorden's novel. Uh, Cersei appears as a secondary character in this film and is portrayed by actress Paloma Kwiatkowski and depicted as a powerful sorceress residing on an island. And the main characters encounter her and must find a way to overcome her magic. In 2014's The Flash, (laughs) Cersei made an appearance in Season 7, Episode 10 of the television series and is portrayed by actress Miranda McDougal, depicted as a metahuman with the ability to transform people into animals using her magic staff. We see a recurring theme here. Uh, In DC's Legend of Tomorrow in 2016, which would be Season 6, Episode 4, She's portrayed by actress Cheyenne Sobian and depicted as a powerful sorceress who poses a threat to the time-traveling heroes. It's worth noting that Cersei's appearance in movies and television shows may vary in terms of adherence to the traditional mythological depictions and interpretations. And while she's often portrayed as a sorceress with the ability to transform humans into animals, her characterization and role in the respective narratives may differ based on the creative choices of the productions, which makes it all the more interesting. Okay, so next, let's move on to Morgan Le Fay. So Morgan Le Fay, also known as Morgana, is a legendary figure from Arthurian mythology and folklore. She is a sorceress, enchantress, and often portrayed as a powerful and complex character. 
Morgan Le Fay has appeared in various texts and stories throughout history, playing different roles and embodying different aspects of her character. For example, in Arthurian legend, Morgan Le Fay is often depicted as the half-sister of King Arthur, sharing a common parent, Igraine, with him. And she is known for her magical abilities, cunning nature, and her ambiguous relationship with her brother Arthur, sometimes portrayed as a villain and other times as a healer and an advisor. In La Morte d'Arthur by Sir Thomas Mallory, which is an influential work compiling the Arthurian legends and tales, Morgan Le Fay is featured as a significant character and is portrayed as a powerful sorceress who orchestrates various plots against Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, eventually helping to bring about his downfall. In the Vulgate Cycle and Post-Vulgate Cycle, these are other collections of Arthurian tales, um, they expand on Morgan Le Fay's character where she's often depicted as an antagonist attempting to undermine Arthur's rule and using her magic to cause trouble within the kingdom. Another appearance is in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. In this poem, Morgan Le Fay is portrayed as a skilled sorceress who orchestrates a challenge for Arthur's knights, testing their loyalty and bravery. And there are other Arthurian works where Morgan appears, including the prose Tristan, Percival, the story of the Grail, and the alternative Morte Arthur. In some folklore and later literature, we see Morgan appear in French romances, where her character is further developed as an enchantress who often opposes Arthur and his knights. In The Birth of Merlin by William Shakespeare, Although the author of this play is debated, it does feature Morgan Le Fay prominently, and she is a complex character with motives that are not entirely evil, showing a compassionate side and her connection to her brother Arthur. And in some modern literature, she appears in T.H. White's The Once and Future King and many other novels and plays and adaptations that draw up from Arthurian legend. Overall, she's often associated with magic, seduction, uh, and her role as a powerful enchantress and adversary to her brother Arthur. However, interpretations also vary, and she is depicted as a complex, multifaceted character with her own motivations and desires. She's also appeared in many movies in television series, including 1981's Excalibur. In this film, directed by John Borman, Morgan Le Fay is portrayed by actress Helen Mirren. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, and she plays the role of a seductive and manipulative sorceress who plots against King Arthur and tries to gain power. Uh, 1998's Merlin, a television miniseries where Morgan Le Fay is portrayed by actress Helena Bonham Carter. Amazing. The character is presented as a complex and tragic figure torn between her love for Merlin and her desire for her own power. And she's depicted as a sorceress with conflicting motivations. Uh, in The Miss of Avalon, the miniseries adaptation presents Morgan Le Fay as a central character, and she's portrayed by actress Juliana Margulies. Morgan is shown as a powerful priestess and a champion of the old religion, and she's frequently at odds with the rise of Christianity and the Arthurian court. The newer series called Merlin from, I believe, 2008, Katie McGrath portrays a younger version of Morgan Le Fay, who is also known as Morgana. And initially, she's depicted as a sympathetic character and Arthur's half-sister, whose character gradually evolves into a villain as she embraces her magical powers and seeks to overthrow Camelot. And finally, in the 2011 series Camelot, which was short-lived but not bad, Ava Green, an incredible actress, plays Morgan, presenting her as a sorceress and King Arthur's half-sister again. She is portrayed as a powerful and manipulative figure, using her magic to challenge Arthur's rule by any means possible. And these are just a few examples how Morgan Le Fay has been portrayed in movies and television shows. Her character also varies across different adaptations, with some emphasizing her role as a complex and conflicted character, while others focus on her antagonistic nature and her desire to undermine King Arthur and the realm of Camelot. In the 2008 television series Merlin, 
where Katie McGrath portrays Morgan Le Fay, or also known as Morgana. Morgana's character undergoes significant development throughout the series. Initially depicted as a kind and caring young woman who serves as the ward and close friend to King Uther Pendragon, as the series progresses, Morgana discovers that she possesses magical abilities, which she struggles to control and keep hidden due to Uther's strong hatred towards magic and those who practice it. Her secret magical identity, however, becomes a central conflict in the show. And some key aspects of Katie McGrath's portrayal of Morgana include a sympathetic and empathetic look as Morgana is shown as a compassionate figure uh, who cares deeply for others, especially for those who suffer under Uther's tyrannical rule. She's very conflicted. She starts to understand her magical powers and becomes torn between her loyalty to Uther, who has raised her as a daughter, and her desire to help those who are oppressed because of their magic. Her friendship with Merlin is a major highlight. Morgana forms a close bond with the young wizard Merlin, played by Colin Morgan, and the two characters share a deep friendship and understanding as they both struggle with their magical abilities in a kingdom that condemns sorcery. Her embracing of magic and transformation. As the series unfolds, Morgana embraces her magical heritage and becomes more assertive and powerful. She undergoes a significant transformation from kind and gentle to a more assertive and determined person driven by her desire for justice and equality, something that many of us, if not most of us, can relate to. And then eventually she becomes an antagonistic character because as her magical abilities and frustrations with Uther's rule grow, she eventually becomes a bit more of a villain in the later series because her resentment towards Uther's unjust treatment of magical beings and her thirst for revenge lead her down a darker path. Finally, betrayal and conflict are major themes because Morgana's journey culminates in a full-fledged conflict with Camelot and its inhabitants, including her former friends, Merlin and young Arthur, played by Bradley James. She becomes a formidable adversary, using her magic and cunning to challenge Arthur's rule and seek to claim the throne for herself. Overall, Katie McGrath's portrayal of Morgana in Merlin presents a multi-layered and complex character, from a sympathetic and caring young woman to a conflicted and powerful sorceress. And Morgana's transformation adds depth and tension to the series, making her a compelling figure from Arthurian legend. All right, moving along, we're coming to Baba Yaga. So Baba Yaga is a fascinating figure from Slavic folklore and mythology. She is a witch-like character with supernatural powers and is often depicted as both a fearsome and enigmatic entity. Baba Yaga has appeared in numerous stories, legends, and folktales throughout Eastern Europe. And here's a quick run-through of just a few places where you can find her. Uh, in folklore and mythology, Baba Yaga originates from Slavic mythology, where she's known as a powerful and ambiguous figure associated with the wild and primal forces of nature. She's typically depicted as an old woman with iron teeth, a bony nose, and a hut that stands on chicken legs. She's said to dwell in the deep forest or in remote locations and is often associated with death, fertility, and wisdom. In folktales, Baba Yaga is a prominent character. She frequently serves as a figure of tests and trials for protagonists. In these stories, heroes often seek her out for her wisdom or magical aid, but they must overcome her challenges and solve riddles to earn her assistance. Baba Yaga's tests are often used to teach moral lessons or to emphasize the importance of wit and resourcefulness. Some literary works where we can find her are Vasilisa the Beautiful, which is a Russian fairy tale featuring the character Vasilisa who encounters Baba Yaga and must complete tasks for her. It showcases Baba Yaga's capricious nature and her role as a tester of character. Baba Yaga Laid an Egg by Dubravka Ugresik. This is a contemporary novel that explores Baba Yaga myth and multiple perspectives and delves into the symbolism and cultural significance associated with her character. 
Uh, there is Deathless by Catherine M. Valente, a modern fantasy novel incorporating Baba Yaga as a character within a reimagined version of Russian folklore, exploring her complex nature and her ties to mortality. Also, surprisingly enough, Hellboy, the Baba Yaga, which is a comic. Baba Yaga has also made an appearance in these comic book adaptations, such as the Hellboy series by Mike Mignola, and she is portrayed as a powerful and malevolent figure, often antagonizing the protagonist. So we see a theme where a lot of these legendary witches, this archetypal witch, is seen as both benevolent and malevolent, depending upon the artistic license that the writer or artist wants to take in each and every case. Baba Yaga's character varies across you know, these different adaptations and interpretations, but she is consistently represented as an otherworldly and unpredictable force within Slavic folklore. And her presence in literature, folklore, and mythology continues to captivate audiences, showcasing her enduring appeal as a mysterious and formidable figure. One of my favorites uh, is in Catherine Arden's Winter Night trilogy. Baba Yaga is a prominent and fascinating character, and Arden draws upon folklore surrounding her to create her own interpretation of the legendary witch. She is both mysterious and powerful, and an ancient figure deeply connected to the natural world and the magic of the forests. She possesses immense knowledge and mystical abilities, making her an awe-inspiring presence. She has a very complex nature. She's multidimensional, encompassing both light and dark aspects. And she's not easily categorized as purely good or evil, just like magic, but rather as a force that exists beyond human comprehension. Her actions and motivations are often unpredictable, reflecting her complex nature. She is, however, a guardian of balance and natural order. She maintains the delicate equilibrium between light and darkness, and she often tests and challenges those who seek her aid, and her tests are designed to assess a person's character and worthiness. She's seen as a mentor as well as a teacher to Vasilisa or Vasya Petrovna. Uh, Vasya seeks Baba Yaga's guidance and learns from her wisdom, her magical skills, and her deep connection to the supernatural world. And in so, Baba Yaga's teachings help shape Vasya's understanding of her own powers and her place in the world. And she also has a shape-shifting and wild nature, embodying untamed and wild aspects of nature itself. She's known to ride in a mortar, which she steers with a pestle, and lives in a house that stands on chicken legs. And she can also shape-shift into different forms, including that of an old woman or a fearsome bird. Through Arden's portrayal in the Winter Night trilogy, Baba Yaga emerges as a complex and fascinating character, representing the vastness and power of nature, as well as the blurred lines between good and evil. Her role as a mentor and guide adds depth to the narrative and shapes the journey and growth of the protagonist. That's another great one. Highly recommend. So we do see Baba Yaga appear quite a bit in movies and television. Um, the Night at Bald Mountain segment of Fantasia from 1940. Baba Yaga is featured in this classic Disney film as part of the Night of Bald, Ma Bald Mountain segment. I don't know why that's hard for me to say. And she's depicted as a terrifying, towering figure with a long nose and bony limbs. And her appearance is ominous and represents darkness and evil. Blech. Uh, again, in the movie adaptation of the comic Hellboy in 2004, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Baba Yaga appears in both of these films directed by Guillermo del Toro. And in these adaptations, she's portrayed as a decrepit skeletal witch with a crooked nose and a penchant for dark magic. She serves as a formidable adversary for the protagonist, Hellboy. Uh, you know, I hate to mention this one, but she is mentioned for some strange reason that I don't think I'll ever understand in John Wick chapter two, I've, or was it chapter one? I don't remember. But she is referenced in the film starring Keanu Reeves as an assassin. Um, he is nicknamed Baba Yaga due to his reputation and skills. And while Baba Yaga does not appear in the film, her name is used metaphorically to depict the protagonist's fearsome nature, which is interesting. 
uh, I had a hard time drawing the parallels between, you know, the super assassin and the folkloric witch, but hey, she comes up. It's used. <laughs> okay, also in The Librarians, a show from 2014, she appears in the second season of this television series and is portrayed as a recurring character, depicted as an ancient, powerful witch who resides in a magical forest and tests the protagonists with riddles and challenges. So as you can see, you know what, I, almost, I actually just missed one that came to me. <laughs> so Bobby Yaga is mentioned in the Marvel Studios film Ant-Man and the Wasp in 2018. And in the movie, the character Lewis, who's a friend and associate of Scott Lang, or Ant-Man, tells the story to his friends about an encounter with a mysterious woman known as Bobby Yaga. And the main villain in the series, well, actually, I don't think she's the main villain. She's just... Um, a, complica a complicated character, I would say, uh, frightens him and reminds him of a scary story of Baba Yaga from his childhood. And then there's a hilarious scene where he sings a, a little rhyme um, while being petrified by this woman. And it's, the little rhyme is about Baba Yaga. Okay, so according to Lewis, Baba Yaga is a supernatural figure from Russian folklore who lives in a house with chicken legs and is known to snatch people. And he describes her as a scary witch-like character who is best avoided that's just a fun addition into uh, a pretty well-known film. So these are all notable examples of how Baba Yaga has been portrayed in movies and television shows, and her depictions vary just as everyone else's. In terms of the creator's adherence to traditional folklore and the creative choices that they make. However, her presence on the screen continues to captivate audiences and really highlights her enduring allure as an iconic witch from Slavic mythology. So moving along, next we have La Bufana. La Bufana is a popular figure in Italian folklore, often referred to as the Christmas witch, and she's associated with the celebration of Epiphany, which takes place on January 6th. La Bufana has a unique role in Italian culture and has appeared in various forms of literature, folklore, and mythology. Here's an overview of her character and presence. So in folklore and mythology, La Bufana's origins can be traced back to pagan and Christian traditions. She is said to be an old woman who flies on a broomstick and visits children's homes on the night of January 5th, leaving gifts and sweets in their stockings or shoes. And she's known for her kindness and generosity towards children. Uh, she's also tied to the legend of the three wise men. According to one popular legend, La Bufana was an ordinary woman who was approached by the three wise men, or the Magi, on their way to visit the newly born baby Jesus, and they invited her to join them, but she declined. Later, she regretted her decision and set out to find the baby Jesus, carrying gifts in her basket. However, she was unable to locate him, and as a result, La Bufana continues to search to this day bringing gifts to all children in the hope that one of them might be baby Jesus. In Italian folklore and celebrations, La Bufana is deeply ingrained and is a significant part of the country's Christmas traditions. On the night of January 5th, children hang stockings or leave their shoes out, hoping to receive gifts from La Bufana, and it is believed that she enters the house through the chimney, similar to Santa Claus, and leaves presents behind for well-behaved children. She has appeared in various works of literature, uh, particularly children's books, which tell stories about her and her adventures. And she's also been featured in poems and songs, further solidifying her place in Italian culture. In recent years, La Bufana has gained some international recognition and has been mentioned or depicted in Christmas-themed media even outside of Italy. But she's also made appearances in movies and television, as has everyone on this list so far. Some examples are La Bufana Vien di Notte, which is a 2018 Italian film directed by Michelle Sovi and revolves around the character of La Bufana. In the story, La Bufana is portrayed as the central figure who embarks on an adventure to save a child from an evil force. And the film reimagines La Bufana as a courageous and magical character with the power to fight darkness. 
in Mickey's Magical Christmas snowed in at the House of Mouse from 2001, La Bufana makes a brief appearance in this animated Christmas special, which also features various Disney characters. And in the story, she's shown attending a holiday party at the House of Mouse alongside other iconic holiday figures such as Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Also, La Bufana, an Italian Christmas story from 2007, which is an animated television special and tells the story of La Bufana and her role in Italian Christmas traditions. It follows her journey to find the baby Jesus and emphasizes her kind-hearted nature and desire to bring joy to children. She's a very celebrated figure in Italy and has an important and beloved presence during the Christmas season. Her celebration takes place the night of January 5th, as I said, which is the eve before Epiphany. And some ways that she's celebrated are with festivals and parades dedicated to La Bufana. And these events often feature colorful processions, music and performances with people dressing up as the witch and other characters from Italian folklore. The festivals aim to create a joyful and festive atmosphere for families and children. Stockings and shoes play a major role in celebrations. Similar to the tradition of hanging stockings for Santa Claus, many Italian children hang stockings or leave out their shoes on the night of January 5th in the hopes that La Bufana will visit their homes during the night and fill their stockings or shoes with small gifts, sweets, and treats. And it's customary for children to clean their shoes before placing them out as a sign of respect for La Bufana. Families often gather for a festive meal and exchange gifts on this day, celebrating the conclusion of the Christmas season. And some traditional foods that may appear are often associated with La Bufana. One popular treat is the La Bufana cake or La Bufana bread, which is a sweet pastry or bread that may be shaped like La Bufana herself or contain symbolic elements such as dried fruit or chocolate. So as you can see, this is another character that is very much a important witch archetype, but mostly seen as a benevolent figure and is very, very ingrained in the Christmas season. Okay, so moving on to our last witch, we have Medea. Medea is a prominent figure in Greek mythology and literature known as a powerful sorceress and a tragic character. Here's an overview of Medea as her appearances vary in literature, folklore, and mythology. So in mythology, Medea is the princess of Colchis, a kingdom located on the eastern coast of the Black Sea. She was the daughter of King Aedes and the granddaughter of the sun god Helios. Medea possessed immense magical abilities and was knowledgeable in the arts of witchcraft and herbal medicine. She appears in Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, when Jason and his crew of Argonauts arrived in Colchis in search of the Golden Fleece, Medea fell in love with Jason and helped him complete the dangerous task set by her father. With her magic, she aided Jason in overcoming obstacles, including taming fire-breathing bulls and defeating a dragon, and Medea's assistance ultimately allowed Jason to obtain the Golden Fleece. However, Medea's story takes a tragic turn after Jason and she return to Greece. Medea and Jason marry and have children, but when Jason decides to marry another woman, Medea seeks revenge. She sends a poisoned robe and crown to Jason's new bride, killing her and her father. Medea then commits the horrific act of killing her own children, seeking to inflict the greatest pain upon Jason. And her actions portray her as a complex and vengeful character driven by intense emotions. Medea's story has been extensively explored in ancient Greek literature, and most notably is Euripides' tragedy titled Medea, written in the 5th century BCE. In this play, Medea is portrayed as a powerful and passionate woman whose desire for revenge drives her to commit heinous acts. The play explores themes of love, betrayal, and the conflict between personal desires and societal expectations. Her character has had a long-lasting impact on Western literature and culture, and her story has been retold and adapted in various works, including plays, novels, and operas. She represents a complex and controversial archetype of a woman who possesses both great power and intense emotions. 
Her portrayal in literature, folklore, and mythology showcases her as a compelling figure, displaying both her abilities as a sorceress and the tragic consequences of her actions. And her stories, as with all the other characters in this episode, captivate audiences, offering insights into themes of love, revenge, and the struggle between those personal desires and the societal norms. She appears in a number of movies and television series, including Jason and the Argonauts from 1963, uh, which is a classic adventure film directed by Don Chafee, and she's portrayed by actress Nancy Kovac. The movie follows the mythological tale of Jason and his quest for the Golden Fleece, and Medea, of course, plays a significant role as the sorceress who aids him with her magic and falls in love with him. Kovac's portrayal captures Medea's allure power, and eventual heartbreak. Medea from 1988 is a Danish tragedy television film directed by Lars von Trier. You might know him as the director of Dancer in the Dark, which stars Bjork, and is based on Carl Theodore Dreyer's adaptation of Euripides' play Medea. The film is a modern interpretation, however, of the Medea myth. The movie focuses on the tragic aftermath of Medea's portrayal by her husband Jason and the character Medea is played by Kirsten Olison, portraying her as a tormented and vengeful figure consumed by rage as well as despair. There's also Medea's Family Reunion, uh, a 2003 made-for-television movie directed by Jim Milio, offering a contemporary and comedic twist on the Medea story. The film stars Ricky Lake as Maddie Dwyer, a woman who believes she is a descendant of Medea and inherits her powers. Maddie uh, has to navigate her newfound abilities while dealing with family drama, and the movie presents a lighthearted approach to the Medea character and themes, which is <laughs> just doesn't sound like a simple thing to undertake. Uh, finally, Atlantis, The Lost Empire from 2001. Although it's not really focused on Medea, she appears as a character in this animated Disney film. And she's depicted as a mystical figure known as the mother of Atlantis who possesses great power and knowledge. And she actually plays a crucial role in the plot and provides guidance to the protagonists. So these are just a few examples of Medea's appearance in movies and television and her complex character, uh, her magical abilities, and of course the tragic story have made her a very, very intriguing character. You know, and different adaptations emphasize different aspects of her character, but the common thread is her status as a powerful and iconic figure in Greek mythology. Some modern books or retellings of Greek myth where she has appeared are Medea by Krista Wolf, which is a novel published in 1996, and it's a retelling of the Medea myth from Medea's perspective. Krista Wolf delves into Medea's thoughts and emotions, providing a feminist reimagining of the character. Another one is The Penelope Ad by Margaret Atwood. The primary focus here is actually Penelope, who is the wife of Odysseus. And this 2005 novel includes Medea as one of the voices of the dead in the underworld. Medea shares her own perspective on the events surrounding her myth. Uh, the Golden Fleece by Robert Graves is a 1944 novel which retells the myth of Jason and the Argonauts, with Medea playing a significant role. And the story explores the complex relationship between Jason and Medea, as well as Medea's use of magic and her ultimate fate. And finally, Madeline Miller's Circe. Medea is Aedes' daughter and Circe's niece. Aedes is the younger brother of Circe. Medea is also a witch, which Aedes resents, as he fears that she will eventually arm her husband, Jason, with magic, which she does. When Medea falls fiercely in love with Jason, she uses her magic to help him get the Golden Fleece, and as they escape from Aedes, Medea knows that they will be caught and tortured by her ruthless father unless she does something drastic to stop him in his tracks. She then kills her brother, who is also Aedes' favorite son, and dismembers him, throwing his limbs into the ocean. She knows that Aedes must stop and collect all the pieces to give him a proper burial, which slows him down and allows Medea and Jason to escape. It is a heartless, horrifying, and selfish act, but Medea does so anyway, which shows not only that she is like her callous father, but also how she feels that she must exploit others in order to survive. In the book, Circe tries to persuade Medea to stay with her in Aiea, where Medea will be safe and Circe can teach her 
to harness her witchcraft, but Medea refuses. Uh, she is too much in love with Jason at this point. And although Cersei warns her that Jason will eventually leave her, and he's already a little bit afraid of her and her powers, she refuses to listen. And Cersei eventually finds out years later that Jason did in fact leave Medea for another woman, and in retaliation, Medea burns the new wife alive and then kills her own children so that Jason cannot have them. Cersei, however, is not surprised, but she is nonetheless saddened to hear that Medea turns out to be just like her cruel father, Aedes. To quote Medea in Madeline Miller's Circe, I am no child to him. I was his to dispose of, like his seed warriors or his fire-breathing bulls, like my mother whom he dispatched as soon as she bore him an heir. Perhaps it might have been different if I'd had no witchcraft, but by the time I was ten I could tame adders from their nests. I could kill lambs with a word and bring them back with another. He punished me for it. He said it made me unmarketable, but in truth, he did not want me taking his secrets to my husband. So from what I've explained here, you can see that not all of these witch archetypes are what some would consider to be altogether good. They are far more complex than that, and in some cases, positively villainous. But Medea, if we look into her backstory and her relationship with her father, as it's described in Madeline Miller's book, seems very much the product of her upbringing, the twisted figure of a woman who, through trauma, neglect, and even abuse, has learned to channel her rage and her power into doing whatever it takes to reach her destination or her goal, even if by monstrous means. This is one side of the witch that we may look upon with appalled, open-mouthed stares, but some small part of us, whether we like it or not, can at least a little bit relate to that rage and that feeling of desperation that leads her down a very, very dark path. We may one day want to channel her ruthlessness, though we hope we will never have the need. Or we can look at her story as a grim warning. Whatever the case, she is just as much a part of the witch archetype as any other, cast in shadow as she may be. So, <laughs> to change direction a little bit, let's finish up with a ritual on how to embody the archetype you're drawn to. And this comes from baseformula.com. Embodiment practices are key here. When we've identified a pattern of personal myths that we resonate with, it might be that you resonate with the witch's wounds, for example. You then work with her energy and decide which traits you want to embody and which traits you may not. This is done by learning to deeply love all of the parts of you that you've identified as wounded, whilst also choosing to embody the new stories. In practice, this could look like taking steps to tend to parts of your witch that feel unlovable and ready to be outcast. All the places where you hide your truth and choose into a ritual to consciously open your heart to being yourself. So here is a ritual for you to harness the power of your archetype, the witch. A ritual for embodying magic and power of the witch. When we activate the witch within us, we are activating the parts of us that we have lost that are already magical and powerful under our conditioning about who the witch is. To activate the witch's magic and raw power, I'd invite you to a ritual to be with your dreams, visioning what you'd love to create. The witch is a powerful creatrix and can create whatever is in their heart. So diffuse the following magical oils or grab some incense and do a little ritual and journal about your heart's dreams so you can manifest in a powerful, soft, and lovingly magical way. Mix three drops of rose oil, two drops of lemon, and two drops of frankincense, or use the same ingredients as an incense blend over a charcoal disc. And buy a candle, journal about your visions to activate your witch. Okay, that is all that I have for you today. Please be well and have an amazing weekend. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you listen. If you want some more content, please go to www.aisforagrimony.com, where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, and soon to come, The Coven Shop. You can also follow me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony. That's an underscore in between every word. Or like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash a is for agrimony. Want to contact me? Shoot an email to reachmargo at a is for agrimony.com. And if you're interested in some exclusive bonus content, you can join me over on Patreon at patreon.com slash a is for agrimony, where I share early release, unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, monthly spells, and much more. You're also welcome to send me some snail mail, if you're that kind of person, to P.O. Box 397, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, zip code 08003. I'd love a good surprise. or not. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for listening. Be well and have an amazing weekend. So Morgan Le Fay, also known as Morgana, is a legendary figure from Arthurian mythology and folklore. She is a, excuse me, I have something stuck to my lip. I think it's dog hair. In the 2008 television series Merlin, where Katie McGrath portrays Morgan Le Fay, or also known as Morgana, Morgana's character undergoes significant development throughout the series initially as depicted a coach and I'm going to drink some coffee. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Shit. That's good. <clears throat> okay. Initially depicted as a kind and caring young woman,